Clear prop. Star 73 is Cherokee, number two, following twin traffic, three mile final. There's something One trailer Bravo, Rakesford in runway 25, going uh, four mile final. This is Behind the Prop with United Flight Systems owner and licensed pilot Bobby Doss and his co host, major airline captain and designated pilot examiner Wally Mulhern. Now, let's go Behind the Prop. What's up, Wally? Hey, Bobby, how are you? Fantastic. This week uh, is our first episode after we had the Kings, and you missed that, man. I, I hate that you missed that episode. It was a good one. I know. I, I listened, and I enjoyed, but, and it uh, seemed kind of strange. It's like, hey, that, that's my podcast, and I'm not on it. <laughs> well, Nick did a good job. We appreciate him joining the show, and it was also, also very neat to talk to two icons of aviation and... Uh, get to enjoy some of their conversation. The book was really good. If you haven't checked it out, go check out the book, Lift. And uh, I think you'll really enjoy it if you have any desires to be an entrepreneur. And this week, we're back to the show with no guest, just the two of us. And we're going to tackle something that we've been planning to talk about. And it's really going to be a good show, in my opinion. I think it's the sixth sense of flying, right? You ever, you ever felt like you shouldn't do what you think you're about to do, Wally. Yeah, there. You know, in anything in life, and not just flying, but you know, sometimes um, things don't feel just don't feel right. And yeah, maybe you've done your clearing turns, and you think, you know what, I'm going to do two more clearing turns, or I'm not going to go a little farther on each way. Something doesn't feel right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so I've been there. I've had that. I've, I, I think we've both joked about you know, flying to Kima. You're out over the water. You just all of a sudden start hearing different sounds that you don't hear over land. Yeah. Um, at nighttime, I, I've heard sounds that I don't hear during the day, right? I, I have a friend that jokes with me, and he tells me that my single-engine airplane doesn't know when it's night. And I beg to differ. I think both both of my single-engine airplane, airplanes know when it's night, and, and they don't like it, like me. Yes, I agree. Um I agree. So let's talk about the sixth sense as it relates to flying. We're going to tackle a, a number of topics today. We're going to kind of give some tips and tricks about what you can do to work on making your sixth sense stronger. So maybe kind of how you can strengthen that muscle a little bit on the ground, in the air. Wally is going to share some pro tips for us, uh, and then we'll wrap up the show. So as a rookie pilot, I had zero sixth sense, right? I, I I can remember watching my instructor and he would just like, I, I swear we would be flying back. He goes, you know, we're at 11 miles. You're going to call, you're going to call him. And I'm like, how do you know we're 11 miles? Like, but he had been out to the pattern and the practice area so many times. He kind of just knew the landmarks and he didn't even have to look at DME or the GPS. And I'm thinking, how do you know we're 11 miles away? You're a genius. Right. Guess right. what I think about every time I get about 11 miles out, we're yeah. 11 miles out. Yeah. So that, that you can make this sixth sense stronger and some of it will naturally happen with experience and flight time. But when I was a rookie, I couldn't, I couldn't keep up with the radios. So what would I do? I would make my sixth sense stronger by writing all the radio frequencies down that I might need between here and Austin. Now, I don't do that. I'm, I'm good enough. I've got enough experience, and I'm able to write those things down. But I would fake my sixth sense on paper by writing all that stuff down. You think um, we talk a lot about sports. You think Tom Brady knows when he's losing a game? 
Yeah, yeah. You think Tom Brady knows when he can win a game, even yeah. if he's way down? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and it's the same thing. Do you think Tom Brady, when he's back in the pocket, feels that guy coming around the left end? Most of the time he does. Occasionally he fumbles. Yeah, he might, he but, might get surprised from time to time. Right, right. But the reality is is we, we know that they have it in sports. We know we have it. Um, and some days flying, I, I can remember getting to the airplane thinking, today's just not going to be a good day. The clouds are coming down. It might not be out of my personal minimums yet, but I'm, I almost have this feeling that I'm not, it's not the day to go. And I don't go. Yeah. Um, Hopefully nothing would have happened, but I definitely get the chance to ensure that nothing happens by not going up there. Right. So let's help everybody kind of think about ways that they can incorporate building a better sixth sense. And let's talk about it first on the ground. Um, we give a bunch of tips and tricks, but there's, there's, there's more than one way to get the ATIS. And at this flight school, we pipe the ATIS in as our hold music. So I tell students all the time, all you got to do is call us and ask to be put on hold, and you can listen to the ATIS if you don't have a handheld radio. The METAR and the ATIS are normally pretty close, but, but if you're going to call for ground taxi instructions or you want to go somewhere, you have to have had a chance to listen to ATIS, right? You got to tell them I have Alpha, Bravo, whatever it is. Right. Um, so you can you can get smarter, be more prepared, have that sixth sense by listening to ATIS on the ground. Listen to it on our phone system. Maybe you have a handheld radio. Listen to it. You're, you're starting that process of getting prepared. I think of it as, man, I, I listened to Rodatus down a lot before I got my private pilot certificate. But I never really knew all the information that I was being given, right? Yeah. If they say winds are 170, at this airport specifically, if they say winds are 170 at 5, I know exactly where I'm going to be taxiing before yeah. I even leave the building. Yeah. That's that's building that muscle of that sixth sense in the back of your brain. What's something that you think about on the ground, Wally, that people probably when they're new to aviation or new to being a pilot, they're not feeling and thinking about, but they can start trying to practice and, and build on the ground to be a better pilot? Well, uh, the, the first thing I, I do is when I walk out of my door of my house, um, I, I get an idea of, the weather by the temperature. I mean, that's probably the first thing we all we all experience is, oh boy, it's hot today or it's it's unseasonably cool. And I know living here on the Gulf Coast that if it's unseasonably cool, the wind is probably out of the north. So um, being the airplane geek I am, I mean, I'm still maybe as much of an hour away from the airport, but I walk out, it feels cool. I think I'm taking off three, five left today before I even get in my car to drive to the airport, to get out of my car, to walk into the flight school. You know, I'm, I'm already thinking, Hey, I think the wind is out of the North. If the wind's out of the North. Um, unless we have severe frontal activity, we probably have clear skies because when the wind is out of the south, the the wind is blowing from over the Gulf of Mexico, moisture bringing in low clouds. So I can almost look outside and by the clouds sort of have an educated guess as to where the, the winds are. Um, but I will say, you know, taxing into a lot of big airports, you know, the the mother of all airports is probably Chicago O'Hare. And so 
you know, if I'm going to um, taxi out of Chicago O'Hare and, you know, they're, they're departing multiple runways, what I do on my scratch pad is I write down, I scratch down every runway that they're using for departure. Ten center, nine left. And when they tell me which runway to taxi to, I just X out the other one or circle the right one. Mm. So I don't have to put a one and a zero and a C. It's already there. All I got to do is is put a check mark by it, and I know I'm going to ten center. So I'm um, I'm just you know preparing ahead of time as to what I might get. What I might get. The other thing is listening to the clearances that they give to other airplanes. Um, you know, again, Chicago. It's a bad example because you may not know what direction that other airplane is going in, and that's usually how they base the runway. The, you know, west departures get this runway, the south departures get this runway. Um, so it's it's kind of tough to do in that situation. But just last week I was going into Zurich, and, um, you know, an 11-hour flight all night, and uh, the weather was, uh, the ceiling was extremely low over there. And uh, we're coming in, and... Uh, we hear them starting to give airplanes holding clearances. Um, and uh, so, you know, my assumption was, yeah, we're going to probably hold too. So we had it all ready to go when they told us where we were holding. I mean, we were holding at the same fix that everybody else was holding at, just a different altitude, luckily. <laughs> and, um, you know, it was no big deal. Okay, we were expecting it. We were ready for it, and we just uh, plugged it into our uh, FMC, and we were ready to go. Yeah, I think it's um, the more and more, and a pro like you does it instinctually now, I have no question, but the more and more we prepare to be ready for the next set of instructions or items that we may get, the more that that sixth sense gets built up in our brain, right? Right. Um, I, I think here, or I think about here, listening to things that are going on around me in the airspace or on the ground, whatever that might be, I, I'm, I'm picking up information, right? I'm thinking about, you know, my near miss makes me do this a little bit more at this airport, but it's a very busy airport and you, you want to make sure you know where everybody is around you, both on the ground and in the air. A lot of times at this airport, at this flight school, I can ask for taxi instructions and they might send two of my, my company airplane towards me and we know there's going to be some contention between here and there right right um but not everybody that's brand new knows all my company airplanes right they might not right. know all the tail numbers and they might not know that that a new plane is part of our flight school yet but if you listen you can hear taxing back to united and that makes you aware that they're coming towards me and i'm going that way there's only one way in one way out somebody's gonna have to make room the ground controller is going to have to hold one of us short, give way to company traffic or whatever. But as you start building that, I think of it more as a on the ground, more as a 2D picture. And we'll talk about in the air how that, how we build that 3D space and think about who's above us, who's behind us, and really start feeling it more than just having to see it and know it. I, you know, we, we relate, a, I, I relate a lot of things to sports. And when you, when you hear, uh, commentators talk to NFL players between their first and second year. One phrase you hear NFL players in their second year will say is, I'll say that the, 
the speed of the game slows down in your second year. And obviously the speed of the game doesn't slow down, but we, we get the point. I had a, a young man uh, for a check ride just about a week ago, and he was a, uh, you know, I got to know him a little bit. He was a track star in high school and uh, a, a really good track star, by the, by the way. And I asked him, I said, so when you're running, I says, can you, can you feel someone coming up behind you? And uh, uh, that was his opportunity to say nobody's ever come up behind me. But but he didn't say that. He said uh, he said yeah absolutely I can feel someone coming up behind you. And I said D- do you have eyes in the back of your head? And he says no you just you just can feel it. And I asked him I said was was that coached to you? He says no I just developed it. And that's that's the kind of stuff that we're we're trying to develop. Um, and, and we can we can coach a little bit of it. We can learn some techniques, um, but I think, you know, the quicker that we can open up our field of vision, and I don't mean literally our field of vision, but the more we can start paying attention to what's going on around us, just all the better. No doubt. I, I like to reference the windsock around here. When people are brand new, they probably don't look at the windsock much. They don't realize just how much information that windsock gives them. You talk about leaving your house and feeling the temperature. You look up at a windsock, it'll tell you an awful lot about the flow of traffic, the taxiing instructions you're going to get, and really just depending on how hard the winds are blowing, you know, what what really makes the the next thing that you're thinking about be important to you. So I look at a windsock nowadays and I remember my instructors, again, garnering all this information from a windsock, and I look at them now, and I think about where am I going to be heading to the runway? Where's the taxi going to be going? And I think that uh, I, I subconsciously look at them and get that sixth sense today of, of all that information that as a rookie pilot, you just don't really understand or get, right? Right. So that pretty much wraps up my thought processes on the ground and how I – my muscle grew as my sixth sense grew and as a student pilot into a, a private instrument commercial pilot. And I think, I think it's something that you guys and girls out there can work on as you continue to grow your aviation career. Let's talk about the ground and we'll start with the flow of traffic as we kind of talked about winds and windsock direction and temperatures, right? The flow of traffic in the, in the pattern, how I'm going to depart the pattern, how many planes are in the pattern, all those things really helped me make decisions. I used to have a four-plane rule when I was a solo student. If I came to this airport and there were four planes in the pattern, that was my max. I would I would be the fifth, but I would not be the sixth. Now, of course, I couldn't control it when I got up there right. necessarily. But the purpose for that really was both making the practice purposeful, right? Like at this airport, if there's eight planes in the pattern, how many times are you really going to get to land in an hour? Yeah, not much. Not much. I can fly straight and level around the airport, but not not a lot of landing going on. And then there is this risk factor of, okay, what about the guy who does get confused? They send at, – at five or six, they keep it in one direction, right? In right. one direction only. And then uh, if they get to eight, they're going to probably split them on two runways and you're going to be coming right at each other. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You're opening up your opportunity for all kinds of other mistakes or problems. Right. So I, I think I learned flow of traffic to be a very important thing. 
after I became a private pilot. I mean, I knew we were leaving on 17 right or 17 left, but the flow of traffic became very big. And then, as I mentioned, my near miss, you know, that a helicopter was practicing engine out landings and they came down right on top of me. So that changed everything on the way I think about the flow of traffic and what all is above me and around me. And the, the ADSB helps a ton for a in-air airplane, but I use my ADSB on the ground to make sure there's no helicopters doing practice engine outs above me as well. Um, we talked about the 10 miles out. I, I think instructors and people always seem to know where they're at and that's not just because they became great navigators right they 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 have the sixth sense of a of a seasoned pilot um i can give you an example when i was in the practice area actually working on my commercial stuff this might be embarrassing but to some but not to me but i was working on my commercial maneuvers and someone one of my instructors was like pick a point where you want to do eights on pylon and I'm like, I'm out there, we're flying around. Here I've done chandelles and lazy eights and all this other stuff. And we're doing this mock check ride stuff. I pick two points and they're like, you're really going to do it right over top of another airport? Just so happened to be, we were really close to the Soaring Club, a, a glider port out there. And I picked two points and here we were, we were going to be making an eight really, really close to the final for a glider port. Probably not the best decision, right? D does a does a private pilot do that? Probably they make that mistake. Yeah, um, you've all seen the meme of uh, pick the best field to land in. Yeah, and they see this beautiful field right on the other side of an airport. Yeah, yeah. Um, it it is a sixth sense that we can all grow into and learn a little bit more about. Talk to us about things that maybe are common sense, Wally, or should be common sense that. As we go from private to later on in our career, the 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 thing the common sense seems to be more common. Well, I tell you one thing that we see at, at this airport um, when they they taxi to the runway, they will say, "Contact tower when number one at the runway." Okay, um, and take what ATC says literally. They want you to contact the tower when you're number one. Now that doesn't mean that we can't monitor tower when we're number three. Um, earlier today, I was I was doing a check ride here, and and there was a lot of traffic, and there were about seven airplanes lined up to take off, and uh, we were about number four, so there were about three three behind us and three in front of us. Staying on ground control really did us no good at that point. But switching it over to tower gives us a lot of situational awareness. We kind of know what's going on in the traffic pattern because we're about to join the traffic pattern. But the, the my applicant, just we stayed on ground. We stayed on ground until we got up to number one. And that was something that after the check ride, we debriefed. And I I said, why why didn't we go ahead and switch the tower back? He says, well, they, they told me not to switch to tower until we're number one i says no that's not what they said the 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 comment from atc was contact tower when you're number one not not anything about monitoring tower you know and, and he questions well what if ground needs to get in touch with me so well the the 
the ground, they're ground right control. Next to each other. They're sitting right next to each other in the towers. So if they they need to, they could do that. But you know, there was just a. Uh, I I just think situational awareness is so much better if you're paying attention to what's going on in front of you as opposed to what's going on behind you. I don't care what airplane just called for a taxi from one of the flight schools when I'm number two or three for takeoff. It that's that's stuff that's going on behind me. But I, what I would like to know is that there's a citation on a six-mile final. Well, if I'm number two or number three and there's a citation on a six-mile final, I'm probably going to be after the citation. You know? No question. So, so now I'm thinking, okay, let's be aware of that whole wake turbulence thing. You know, it's, it's opening up that um, can for me. No question. Want. What about some things I've seen while flying with other people that maybe six cents, maybe just common sense, but I'm flying along, I'm in College Station, the altimeter is 30.03, and the next reading I get is 30.30. How, how realistic is that, that that's going to happen? I, I just, yeah. my altimeter moved 300 feet plus. Yeah, and, and you know, Going from the short distances that we we go to, and in in uh, you know if the, if the weather is basically the same, the altimeter is basically you know the best me- the best way to really monitor weather is by pressure, and uh, if the pressure is significantly different, the weather is probably significantly different, um, totally different winds. So if you're going from one airport that's you know, 40 miles away from the other, and the the weather is basically the same, um, the altimeter is probably going to be real close. So, yeah, if you see a big change, um, you should probably check, you know. And I think what's really happened is they've heard it wrong. They've gotten right. audible dyslexia or whatever. They've, right. just, they've heard 30.03, and they wrote down 30.30. Right. It's their own really inadvertent mistake. You kind of start being able to call, huh? This shouldn't be happening. I don't think that's the right thing here. And then you got to kind of challenge it. Um, I like to use the words trust but verify. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You had an incident recently, or not? Not really an incident, but a, a an activity with an applicant where you guys were going to fly northwest, I believe. Yeah. You, yeah. you felt a sixth sense that they didn't feel. Let's talk about that for a little bit. Yeah, so our here at this airport, we have runway 17. Let's just call it north-south runway. And um, uh, we were going to take off on runway 17 right. And obviously, they're landing 17. The winds were out of the south. And we were going to depart to the northwest. And uh, that's what, we t- what he told them. And... Uh, we got to the end of the runway, and he told them we were ready to go on runway 17 right. And and the tower guy said, say your direction of flight. And uh, our, our course was 349, okay, 349 degrees. Um, he said, say your direction of flight, and he said, we're going to the north. And so the, uh, the clearance from the controllers, runway 17 right, clear for takeoff, make a left downwind departure so if you can envision this a north-south runway we're going to the northwest and he wanted us to make a left downwind departure and i i was i just thought oh boy 
How's this going to work? Because eventually, to get to that 349-degree course, we're going to have to cut across final. And damn near be on final. Right, right. And um, it, it, it created a little bit of an issue with ATC, um, but it was a really good learning experience for the applicant. Um, he didn't do anything um, illegal, didn't do anything to violate anything, but we, he could have done a better job by saying when, the, when ATC said, say, your direction of flight, uh, he could have said Northwest. And, you know, we debriefed this, and, and his, his thinking was, well, 349, that's, that's more north than it is more northwest. And, you know, you're splitting pairs at this point, but the whole point of the controller was sometimes the controller talks in code. You know, sometimes if uh, you're coming in, you're doing 120 knots, and he may say to you, traffic following, you're following three miles ahead doing 60 knots. He's not telling you to slow down, but he's telling you to slow down. You're doing 120, he's doing 60, and he's three miles ahead of you, there's a potential problem if you keep the speed up that, you're, that you have. So without him saying, hey, buddy, slow down, you should probably slow down. Right. And again, I don't know that a rookie pilot, I don't know if in my 40th hour I would have picked up on that. Right. As obvious as that seems today, I don't know that I would have picked up on that. But I do think that as you're six and scrows, you're going to pick up on things like that. There's, there's a lot of, in my opinion, navigational stuff that you just start getting good at. And it, it maybe makes it look like you got a better sixth sense. But, you know, the use of a GPS, the situational awareness with foreflight on your leg, you just know how these tools work. You've got a lot more information naturally flowing into your three-dimensional picture in the air, right? So yeah. I've got now with ADSB, I've got traffic all around me on my screen, maybe multiple screens. I uh, probably know the airspace better than I did when I had 40 or 60 hours of flight time. So I can, you ever, you ever feel like there's a shelf that you're about to break through above you? Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. not just because you're like all of a sudden got a, a, a monitor in your brain saying, uh, you're approaching Bravo. You're approaching right, Bravo, but right. but you have been around here so long that you have a sixth sense that Bravo is fifty feet above us, and I am not letting this applicant go fifty feet higher. Yeah. Um, same thing with you when you when you get towards the soaring club, you start looking for gliders. They might not have ADSB. ADSB is not required at that part of, of the airspace. Things that just rookie pilots don't know, and you can start building that up as you grow as a pilot as well. Any things to think about, Wally, with navigation that you think just comes so natural to a guy that's got 35 years that us rookies don't think about? Maybe not so much with navigation, but um, this is something that comes out uh, a lot, and, and this is going to be a controversial subject I'm about to bring up. We're, we're, we're about to have a pretty important, pres uh, not a presidential, but a an election in this country, and um, what I'm about to bring up may rival that in the, the <laughs> amount of controversy, um, because I, I the the flight instructors are going to hear what I'm I'm about to say, and they're gonna they're gonna say no no don't do that don't do that, and 
But hear me out on this. Um, back in the day when somebody gave you a phone number, what would you do with it? You would write it down on a piece of paper and then, um, you know, transfer it to your address book or whatever you had. Um, now, when someone gives you a phone number, probably the first thing you do is you just pull out your phone and you enter it straight into your phone. Or I text uh, it so I don't forget. Yeah, exactly. But I don't exactly. write it down. We don't write it down. But what I see with, with applicants all the time is ATC gives them a transponder code and they pull out their scratch pad and they write it down. And then they read it back to ATC and then they transfer it from that pad to the transponder. And my thought is, why not just go straight to the transponder? Um, I, I brought this up in a debrief to a, a young man just the other day, and he said, he said, well, I want to write it down in case of electrical failure, I'll have it. And I said, well, what good does your transponder code in case of electrical failure do? Your transponder's no good. And his point was, oh, yeah. That's a good point. And then someone once said, well, I, I want to write it down so I always have it so I can reference it. And I said, well, the transponder has a digital display. So when you put it in the transponder, it's in the transponder. I've just seen too many, well, not a whole lot, but I've seen errors where they write it down correctly, but maybe now when you transfer it from that piece of paper to the transponder, it doesn't get transferred correctly. So why not just eliminate the middleman? When they say squawk one, two, three, four, just reach over to the transponder, put one, two, three, four in. You've, you've eliminated the middleman. You've eliminated fumbling for that pencil. And um, I don't know. Uh, and again, now I'm not, I'm not saying with ATC clearances, when you have a pen in hand and you are writing, you know, you're clear to, XYZ airport via as filed, climb and maintain 2,000, expect 8,000, minutes after departure. As you're writing all that down, sure, go ahead and write it there because you're right there. You've got the pencil and the, and the paper right there or, or whatever you're using to write on. Um, so anyway, that's just a technique, and it is, it is a technique. There's nothing wrong with writing it down on, on paper if that's what you want to do. But, uh, again, my technique, and it's been fairly successful, is to just go straight to the transponder. Well, that's our first pro tip there on, on your sixth sense. And I think a lot of that has to do with your ability to stay in front of the plane, right? I, I rewind to my check ride with you when I was an instrument pilot. You gave me some similar feedback. I think we were coming out of Conroe, and I was told to fly heading a 270. So I rode down 270 on my notepad and then reached up and turned the heading bug and made sure I was on the track or the heading of 270. And I flew that for two minutes probably in the grand scheme of things. And they said, turn to a heading of uh, probably probably something more like 200. And I probably rode down 200. And then I turned the heading bug to 200. And then I turned to 200. And then I probably was intercepting the localizer at that point. And um, they told me I was clear for the, I probably wrote down clear for the RNAV approach or the localizer one seven right approach into hooks, read it back to them. And you, you, you gave me some similar debriefing on that. Um, you know, all that stuff was heading bugs and very little had to be written down. 
And I've, I've remembered that to this day. And I think that's made me be able to pick up on more information, which obviously yeah. grows that thought process that I have as well. Um, radios, golly, I wish I knew how to use radios better when I was a rookie, but uh, we see it. I see it a lot when I fly with other people. They're trying to be so pro-like that they're putting in as many numbers as they can. And it probably takes the first or second radio frequency change for them to realize they really wish they would have had the number that they just were on. You ever yeah. seen that happen? Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, most of our airplanes have a standby and an active mode to it. And in other words, when you're changing the frequency, you're not changing the frequency on the radio that you're really using it. You're, you're really, I mean, it's the same radio. It's just a standby feature of the radio. So, you know, we want to, you, you, you put in the new frequency, then you hit the button to transfer it to the active side. Just leave that other frequency until you've really established radio contact. I was, I was coming back uh, on a trip not too long ago with someone and, and uh, they kind of anticipated uh, we, we got a frequency change, and they said to me, hey, the next frequency is going to be XYZ. And I said, yeah, I think so. And they went ahead and put XYZ on the standby side. Well, when we called up on the, the frequency we were on, nobody answered. Mm. And we had actually gotten the wrong, uh, read back the wrong frequency. So we're in Never Never Land, so now we we didn't know what the previous frequency was. So... Make sure you've you've established contact. You know, like maybe you're you're talking to approach, and you know the the next frequency is going to be tower, and you know the tower frequency. Make sure you've got a good good uh, you know uh, conversation going with approach before you put tower over on that standby. That's a good tip, and and one that I try to follow, and I actually still write them down. I know we just said don't write stuff down, but as, as I'm on a long cross country, if I have four frequency changes, I write them down, and you're pretty sure you're going to go in the other order, but I don't plug them in. I wait yeah. until I yeah. know I've get established contact with that next one. Yeah, I, I have some routes that I fly you know, in general aviation a lot, and I have in the notes section of my phone, I have uh, the, the frequencies. I can just look in there, and 90% of the time, it's right. What about... Uh, we talk about big picture all the time and thinking about the big picture. What would, what would you suggest to someone if they just feel like something's not really right? They're up in the air and you know, they just, they feel like something's amiss. They're sixth sense screaming at them. Uh, the controller just said, uh, Hey, you're going to land three, five at this airport that you're going to land three, five left enter a left downwind or sorry, a right downwind for three, five left. That would be a little abnormal here if I was coming from the West. Yeah, if you're coming from the West, yeah, just query the, the controller. Just say, hey, confirm you want me to on a right, you know, or a, um, a right downwind. You want me to cross the runway? You want me to cross over the airport yeah. and do this? So I always, I, I would, my students, and I would always say, okay, what are you expecting? All right, we're going into uh, XYZ Airport. And, um, you know, it's a controlled airport and we're coming from this direction and we were pretty sure they're going to have us land on this runway. What would, what do you think would make sense? And, um, you know, uh, you know, you, you think about, okay, I would expect that they're going to say, let's enter a left 
have you and you know have us enter a left downwind for runway one five. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. A left downwind for runway one five. And if, if all of a sudden they say uh, enter a left downwind for three three, mm. oh, um, okay, did confirm we're landing runway three three. Oh no, sorry about that. It's runway one five. Um, you know, one thing that we get at uh, taking off from Intercontinental Airport, we take off runway one five. Uh, almost exclusively and a lot of times they give us a turn to the north so we're you're, you're heading southeast and you turn to the north well but they want us to make a right hand turn um, and that's that's not the most expeditious way to do it to get to north from a heading of 150 so those control you know they they could say turn right heading 360 clear for takeoff typically what they'll say is turn right, long way around, heading 360. And that's kind of, okay, you really do they want They know what me they're to, saying. They really do want me to go right um, to 360. We talked about this briefly some, and, and it's this is a good conversation, but what about a, a young rookie pilot who has probably an adverse sixth sense to maybe taking off max weight? They... They, they, we've, are we teaching like a bad feeling about max gross weight? I don't know if we're teaching it or not, but I, I see it a lot. And because what, what I do on, on check rides, we're supposed to talk to them or we're supposed to give them an out of balance or an, uh, you know, an overweight scenario. And, and that's what I do is I, I say, okay, I'll, I'll ask what our takeoff weight is and they'll give me a number and I'll say, what's our max takeoff weight? And I'll say, Okay, if, if um, a friend of mine shows up to go with us and he weighs 171 pounds uh, and it's going to put us overweight, you know, A, can he go with us? And, uh, you know, what can we do to allow him to go? And um, it usually involves taking fuel off the airplane or taking something off the airplane. And... I, a good 60%, I don't know, this is an informal poll, but I would say 60% of, of my applicants are reluctant, reluctant to take off at, at max takeoff weight of the airplane. They would rather go with less fuel. And uh, I can't say that's wrong. It, it's not wrong as long as you, you have the required fuel. Um, but I know me personally... I would rather be at max takeoff weight and have as much fuel as I can because statistically speaking, 47% um, of general aviation accidents have a fuel element to them as a causal effect. Yeah. So, um, you know, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take off max weight. Uh, the airplane is certified for it. The airplane will do it. Um, it's not going to perform as well as maybe 300 pounds below. I bet but it performs to the performance charts, though. Yeah, yeah. No question. Yeah, absolutely. And to that point, I think when I was a rookie, again, still am, but when, when I was a much younger rookie, I, I can remember always taking my – rotates 55 in most of the planes we fly. I wouldn't rotate until 60. I felt like it was important that I had five extra knots, like that was going to make the plane perform better showed me what I really shows me now what I really didn't know back then but you know to 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 add five knots to a rotate speed is not something that Bobby Doss should be doing in my own performance charts right I don't understand that I'm not right. 
that's not really good for you. So yeah. if for some reason you hear an instructor or you're teaching these these mechanisms that are outside the performance charts, you're probably creating some negative sixth sense that might turn around and get somebody hurt one day, right? Yeah. Um, and so we want to strengthen the right sixth sense, and hopefully we've done that today by sharing some of these topics and ideas with you. I would, I would assume, and I, I know I've lived a 50-year life now, so I've seen it many times in my own life. I've had that feeling, and 99.9% and of the time when you have that weird feeling, you're probably right. Yeah. I don't know what it is. I don't think anyone knows really what it is. We're calling it a sixth cent today, sixth cent since today. But you've been there. You felt it too, right? And if you feel it, trust it, challenge it, trust but verify, make sure you understand what's going on. If the controller says something that's wacky, challenge them, ask them, clarify it. Don't don't go against your sixth sense. Yeah, and and for for the younger pilots, when you're talking to the controller, when when all else fails, just talk to normal language. Just say, "I'm sorry, I don't understand what you're trying to tell me." Yep. You know that that communicates, and, and the, I think the controller at that point will back way off, and uh, and, and I I say back off, but I think they will say, "Okay, I have someone who's." maybe a little stress, there's a little stress going on. Let me, um, instead of giving him four instructions, let's just give him two instructions. And then when we've got that resolved, I'll give him two more instructions. Yeah, I would always say, man, challenging a, a really upset controller is always going to be better than ending in tragedy, right? Yeah. And we, if you've yeah. listened to any air safety videos or audio files of, of the things that ended really bad, I, I predict that you probably heard a, a pretty nervous pilot talking to a controller that was a little elevated. And yeah, I might have an instrument rating and I might be in the soup and I might should be more proficient, but I'm scared to death. I need help. And yeah. I think I would say that before I tried to let my ego take me into the ground. Yeah. And yeah. I would encourage everybody to do that too. And if you feel that way someday or you've got that sixth sense, by all means, please trust it, use it, make sure you stress it to whoever you're talking to, and fly safely. And don't ever forget, stay behind the prop. Thanks for listening. Thanks for checking out the Behind the Prop podcast. Be sure to click subscribe and check us out online at BehindTheProp.com. Behind the Prop is recorded in Houston, Texas. Creator and host is Bobby Doss. Co-host is Wally Mulhern. The show is for entertainment purposes only and is not meant to replace actual flight instruction. Thanks for listening, and remember, fly safe. Fly safe.